Let's jump back into our series called Reboot, and this is week five. We've been talking about our vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out, and the idea behind Reboot is, you know, if I have problems with my computer, I shut it off, turn it back on again, and a lot of times it fixes that. And 2020 was full of a whole bunch of heart pitfalls and a whole bunch of trials and a bunch of distractions, and so we want to make sure we get back to our factory settings as believers, and we're grabbing hold of the important things. So we've covered a whole bunch of things through this series. And last week, we talked about the fact that every believer is to be a productive citizen of the kingdom of God. We talked about the empowerment model that Good Hope Church has. Here, our our ministry philosophy is that if we can get each person to their full potential in Christ, then that is going to advance the kingdom of God. And so that's where our focus needs to be, helping people reach their full potential in Christ. But there's a problem With that, there is an elephant in the room. I heard it said this way one time. I thought it was really good. The problem with delegation is that things get worse before they get better. So when you're empowering people, when you're trying to help people step into new things, there's mistakes that are made. There's, you know, there's little messy things that happen and that's okay. We can deal with that, but that's what leads us into today's topic which is that God's people must be people of truth. And if we will walk in the truth, then as we learn and grow and we bump into each other and we empower each other, then those little mistakes are not going to become big mistakes. But if we stray from the truth, then we can get into serious problems. And truth is, of course, really, really important. We've got truth in the Ten Commandments. So let me pull up Exodus chapter 20. Let's go to verse 16. One of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So make sure you tell the truth. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Very important. God's people are to be people of truth. And then Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, is just a powerful section of Scripture about some things that God doesn't like. So that said very nicely. Let's see what it says here. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So we see a list of things that God does not like. You know, haughty eyes, that's pride, thinking you're better than other people. A lying tongue, obviously, speaking things that aren't true. And then a false witness who pours out lies. So lies got in there twice. There's these things being quick to rush into evil, deceiving wicked schemes, shedding innocent blood, stirring up conflict. And lying is in there twice. Oftentimes, lying is involved in all of those things. But It's in there twice for good measure, and this just makes it obviously true that our God is a God of truth, and he expects his followers to be people of truth. So settle yourself on being a person of truth. Tell the truth. That's pretty simple. Face the truth. This can be the next roadblock for people. Something might be true, but they don't want it to be, so they can't face it. And then embrace the truth. Oh, you don't want to face that. There's some things that are true that you don't like, but then you have to just grab hold of those things because they're true. And we need to be people of truth. And once you're settled in truth, then 
You can advance into wisdom. Too many people don't get settled in truth. They say things that aren't true or they try to believe things that aren't true. Or believers do that sort of a thing. You know, the Christian version of lying, which is saying something that's technically true, but is deceiving, you know, stuff like that. That's not settled in the truth. That's not embracing the truth. That's technically trying to be true. And that's not going to lead you into truth. It's going to lead you into other things, into deception, into lies. But once you get settled in truth, you can advance into wisdom. Wisdom is like the next level of truth. It's where you have discernment and insight, where you can see deeply into things because you've embraced the truth, you tell the truth, you face the truth, and you're able now to step into wisdom to apply that truth to greater principles of discernment and insight. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And let's look at wisdom and understanding. It says, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son of my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. So we are to be people of truth who then grab hold of wisdom and understanding, discernment, depth of insight. This is who we are called to be as the people of God. So how far have we come in the last two or 3,000 years since uh, this was written here in Proverbs? Well, I think some good things have happened for sure. You know, some tremendous advances have happened in gaining understanding and having wisdom, but there's still a lot of work to do. And each of us has to deal with this individually. You know, maybe the, the culture is growing in wisdom and understanding, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But I mean, you know, uh, we've got the new covenant now that's been revealed and some important things that we've advanced in, in the faith, but the individual still needs to make those advances themselves. So, Though there's been tremendous advances in even understanding the ways of God from pre-Christ when Proverbs was written to now understanding the day of salvation and redemption, there's still work to do and there's work to do for each person individually. So we are called to be people of truth and people of wisdom in a culture that doesn't always value truth. So in our culture, Things aren't considered true in the ways that they were decades ago. You know, you've got your truth and my truth and all these different things and and we can interpret things and it, it just, the culture isn't a culture of truth anymore like it was before. And my concern is that we who are believers who are called to be different from the culture are just the same or sometimes worse than the culture 
in grabbing hold of truth. We need to be people of truth. We need to be people of wisdom and discernment. And a few years ago, I was at a church planting conference, and I'm a church planter, been involved in planting churches like Good Hope Church, for example. And so I've gone to a bunch of different trainings and seminars and stuff on church planting. And one of the speakers at one of these was a man named Jeff Surratt, who's done a lot of church planting and knows a lot of things about that. And he was talking about some of the practical aspects of church planting and how to get a ministry going. And one of the things that he said was this. He said, people will put up with heresy, but they won't put up with boredom. Now let that settle in for a second. He said, people, Christian people who you are trying to attract to your church or bring into your ministry will put up with heresy but they will not put up with boredom. And I just thought, wow, that's an amazing thing to say because what that means is that Christians can be more drawn to interesting falsehoods than they can be drawn to boring truths. Isn't that a little scary? We got to make sure just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you get to go into interesting falsehoods. You must love the truth, even if it's boring truth. And I got to tell you, a lot of times the truth is boring. It's not that exciting. It's not that interesting. And we must embrace boring truth. There's also, you know, invigorating truth. But there's a lot of boring truth out there. And that brings me to another uh, training I was at. It was a, a Dave Williams training on church planting. And they had a section where they had some speakers come in and talk about cultural relevance in the church. And this was something that up to that point, I was kind of confused on. I wasn't really sure what to do because I thought, you know, how far do you bend? You know, there's, there's the truths of God and there's the things you want people to, to grab hold of. But, you know, a lot of these things, maybe people are, are just you know, hesitant to go that way. You know, you tell them to pray and then you can't tell me what to do. And like, you're a Christian, you should be a person who prays. And so like, how far do you bend? And that sort of a thing was kind of how I was thinking. And the way they defined cultural relevance set me free. They basically said this, what you need to do is you need to speak the language of the culture so you can get people's attention. And then when you get their attention, tell them the truth. If that's what cultural relevance is, I can be that. It's not about compromising the truth, bending the truth to try to appeal to a culture. If it's speaking the language of a culture so that you can get their attention and then tell them the truth, I can do that. That'll work for me. And that was something that set me free. Something that really helped me out a lot. Just tell the truth. One time I was at a church where literally the pastor of this church, the church was 100 times larger than the church I was pastoring. And I was watching this individual preach who I won't name. And I thought, I can preach better than that. How does this person have a hundred times bigger church? (laughs) And the thing that I saw with this person is they were willing to just answer the questions, deal with the truth in a straightforward, simple manner that just hit the nail on the head. Even if it was boring, they just trusted that the truth will prevail. And they just told the truth. You know, so many times when you're preaching, you want to be funny or you want to be exciting and, you know, you want to stir people up and, you know, boring truth is a good thing to embrace. Smile when you're doing it, maybe tell a joke here and there, but let the boring truth out because that's a firm foundation we can stand on. And so we want to, again, make sure that we as believers don't slip into 
interesting falsehoods, but we grab hold of the truth. And I think the isolation of COVID-19 has created some problems where people have gotten more isolated. And then you couple that with the internet culture and people getting their information just through surfing the internet and their Facebook news feeds and stuff like that, then that can present a bunch of snares. It can prevent snares like conspiracy theories and fake news, false prophets, or sometimes just misguided prophets. The internet algorithms can lead you down a rabbit hole. You know, there's just things that create potential snares. You know, the internet algorithms are designed to suck you in and they have no regard for what's true or what's false. So these are real dangers for everybody, for Christians and for non-Christians. These are real dangers. Conspiracy theories, fake news, false or misguided prophets, internet algorithms. These are dangerous things that we need to have discernment and wisdom and make sure that we love the truth rather than interesting falsehoods. So I think Christians, though, can be susceptible to these snares, sometimes even more so than non-Christian people, because we have certain values in Christianity that if we let loose and apply in the wrong ways can be dangerous. Like, for example, Christians learn to trust. That's one of the big things we do. We are people who trust We trust God. We trust our brothers and sisters in the faith. We build trust rather than cynicism and fear and these sorts of things. We don't want to build that. We want to build trust. And so we get things like 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Fantastic uh, verse here. For we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. We're people of faith. We're not people who just look at the situation and say, well, it is what it is. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We believe that the promises of God are going to come to pass that we don't see yet. So we walk by faith. And that's good when you're talking about following the scriptures and the promises of God. But that's bad when you're surfing the internet. You know, if you're going to walk by faith, not by sight on the internet, that's going to be bad. You don't want to be trusting of every website that you look at. You know, just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's true. And the internet is not the same as the public library. There's stuff on the internet that is designed specifically to try to fool you. And you want to have some wisdom. Don't apply, you know, we live by faith, not by sight. To the wrong circumstances. Don't let trust out to untrustworthy sources. So yes, we walk by faith, not by sight, but Jesus also taught us to watch out for false prophets. So let me go to Matthew chapter seven. We'll read verses 15 through 20. What it says here, this is in the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So why would Jesus say, watch out for false prophets? Because there are false prophets. Was that only true back then or is that true today? 
It's true today too. There are people who will try to deceive you, try to fool you. So you need to have the wisdom to be able to discern the difference between someone who can be trusted and someone who can't. And obviously a false prophet would be somebody who is claiming to be a follower of God and yet is leading people in the wrong direction. And so what does this mean? You will know them by their fruit. Let me give you four quick examples of how to know somebody by their fruit, determine if it's a false prophet or not. Number one, what is their track record? If you're listening to internet prophecies, write down what they are and then pay attention to whether or not they come true. If they don't come true, then don't listen to that person anymore. (laughs) In fact, I would say don't listen to them until three or four or five things have come true. And then you can say, oh, wow, they've got a strong track record. I wouldn't have anticipated what they said. They must be hearing from God. But if you don't know their track record or you've seen things not come to pass that they said would come to pass, then you shouldn't listen to them anymore. That's bad fruit. Then the second thing, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in them? Do you see love? Do you see forbearance? Do you see joy? Or do you see something yucky in there? Do they pass the smell test? If you look at them, you're like, oh, there's something wrong there. That person is just a mean person. You know, that person has got some yuck in there. If they've got that, that's a fruit thing as well. And that leads into the third one, which is this. Do they edify you? Do they build you up? Do they lead you into good things Or are they leading you into fear and confusion? If you're listening to somebody on the internet and now you want to barricade your house and get a whole bunch of ammunition, you know, they're leading you the wrong direction. Who are you going to shoot? You know, like what? We don't want to have the wrong things coming up in our heart. And if we see that fear is coming up and confusion is coming up and just, you know, we think that there's evil everywhere about to get us. And that's what's coming up in us when we listen to these people, then, you know, that's bad fruit. Don't listen to that. And then the fourth one I'm just going to say is that are they about themselves and trying to get people to follow them? Or are they about bringing people to Jesus? You know, I like it when people come to Good Hope Church. I'll tell people that I like it when you come here, but You don't have to come to Good Hope Church to be a sold out, full follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to come to Good Hope Church to be all that you are meant to be in Christ. We're one church. Hopefully God is using in good ways, but I don't mean to bring you to Good Hope. I mean to bring you to Jesus. I don't mean to get you to serve Good Hope. I mean to get you to serve Jesus. You know, I don't want to advance Good Hope. I want to advance the kingdom of God and Good Hope is just a tool for that. So, If these people are trying to pull you to follow them rather than follow Jesus, and they'll say they're trying to get you to follow Jesus. You're smart. You can figure that out. Use some discernment. They're trying to pull you after them rather than get you to follow the Lord and be part of the kingdom of God. That's another red flag. One of those bad fruit situations. So what do we do? How do we manage this? Well, I want to look at three scriptures and let's weave them together before we get to a practical example. So I first want to do 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. And it says this, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. 
So we don't want to quench the spirit. The, we are people of the spirit. We should probably cover that next week. You know, we're people of the spirit. We want to be connected with the Holy Spirit of God and led by the spirit and empowered by the spirit. So we don't want to quench the spirit and we don't want to treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. So the assumption here is that some of them aren't going to be good. Test them all, hold on to what is good, and then reject every kind of evil. So when there's evil there, when you see that there's fear-mongering and things like that, then that needs to be rejected, not just discerned and like, eh, you might have been a little off. No, that's something to be rejected when you see fear-mongering and things like that. Then let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, and it says this, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So some things in the Bible, like the writings of Paul here, according to Peter, are difficult to understand. And there can be people who distort those things. Ignorant and unstable people distort the writings in the scriptures and can confuse people. So just because somebody is speaking and maybe using biblical references doesn't mean they aren't distorting those biblical references. So don't quench the spirit, but also watch out for the ignorant and unstable people who distort the scriptures. You don't want to fall for that. And then Acts chapter 20, this is where the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to the elders at the church in Ephesus. And he says something that I find remarkably scary in verses 29 through 31 here in Acts chapter 20. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So Paul here is warning them that these beloved brothers of his, even from among their own number, people would come and just instead of trying to bring people to Jesus, try to bring people to themselves. And so there's lots to watch out for. You know, there's false prophets. There's people distorting the truth. There's people trying to pull disciples after them instead of leading people to Jesus. So we need to be aware of all that stuff and not quench the spirit, not despise prophecies, but test, discern, hold on to the good, reject the evil. There's wisdom necessary for that but be looking to have wisdom and discernment as you're dealing with acquiring information on internet searches and just trying to find truth in this world. So let's look at a practical example. I want to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where the church in Thessalonica actually got caught up in one of these issues, just like what we're going through today, where there was a false teaching and the word spread and they bought it. And they were very concerned. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. I'll kind of work my way through it. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. 
So apparently there was a false report that was couched in prophecy or word of mouth or a letter that really wasn't from Paul or his associates, but instead was from a source that was wrong that had claimed that the second coming of Christ had already happened and all the people in Thessalonica had missed out on it. The church (laughs) had missed it. It has already happened. So I guess you're out of luck. So they were becoming unsettled and alarmed because there was this teaching that the day of the Lord that we're all hoping for had already happened and they missed it. Well, that's a pretty serious problem. That's something that can happen with false teachings today too. People become alarmed and unsettled by these false teachings. The truth of God does not make us alarmed or unsettled. There are hard things in this world and we have to face persecution from time to time and things like that. That's not unsettling. There can be a grounding with that, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So let's keep going. Verse three, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. I love the way that's phrased. You take responsibility. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Don't prefer interesting falsehoods to boring truths. Don't let yourself be deceived in any way. And then it continues. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So, man, there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about with that, but I'm just going to touch it briefly. Basic point. He was telling the Thessalonians, a lot of stuff has to happen before Jesus comes back, so just relax. Now, it's been almost 2,000 years (laughs) since Paul wrote that to the Thessalonians. Have these things happened? Well, maybe. You know, is this powerful delusion, which is a whole nother topic, the internet algorithms? Uh, I don't know, maybe. But the bottom line is, we can be ready if Today is the day that the Lord returns, or if it's 50 years, we can be ready now so we don't have to worry. How do we be ready for the day of the Lord? You don't need to guess what day it's going to happen. This isn't a test that you cram for. It's something that you're prepared for moment by moment, day by day, the return of Lord. How do we do that? Let's go to verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So we want to believe in the truth and we want to 
go through that sanctifying work of the Spirit. This means we're getting closer and closer to God. Our behaviors are becoming more and more godly, less and less worldly, and we're growing in our relationship with God. That's the sanctifying work of the Spirit and then believing the truth. Verse 14, He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all this comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, that the wages of sin, which is death, may be paid for each one of us, and we can receive forgiveness and redemption and new life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that allows us to grab hold of the sanctifying power of the Spirit and believing in the truth. Verse 15, so then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So Paul is saying, okay, there's these new weird teachings about how the day of the Lord's already happened. Just forget about that stuff. Go back to what we originally taught you. So for us, let's grab hold of the truths of the scriptures, not running from one internet site to another and getting weird stuff. Then this will be the result. Verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. There's good hope. That's where it is in the Bible. Good Hope Church. That's what we're named after these verses here. And what this is talking about is having encouragement and hope and strength to be able to do and say the right things. Instead of being unsettled and alarmed by every wind of teaching and blown here and there, instead, we're encouraged, full of good hope, not a false hope, but full of good hope, and we have strength to do and say the right things. This is what we want to have. So we need to be grounded in the scriptures, grounded in the truth of God. So God's people must be people of truth, people of wisdom. And we need to be very discerning in how we seek truth in these days because there's isolation due to COVID. You know, there's the internet, which is difficult to navigate. There's lots of untruth out there. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Just like you don't believe everything that you hear, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Be a person of truth, be a person of wisdom, discernment, and insight. What is true? I've had a lot of people say things to me like, I just don't even know what's true anymore. Uh, things like that. And there's a whole lot of details in this life that I'm not that interested in. I'm looking for that truth that we live by faith for. Not by sight, but by faith. What is this greater truth that is more true than the things that we deal with, these temporary things that we deal with here? Well, I'm going to give you some. First thing that's true is there is a God in heaven that loves you. He made a way for you to be free and forgiven and made new. This is true. There is a God in heaven that loves you, who has made a way for you to be free and forgiven and made new. Another thing that's true is that the Almighty does not change like shifting shadows. You might feel like truths are being pulled out from under you, like, you know, the rug's being pulled out and what you thought was going to happen, what you thought was true, now it's different and it all turns to chaos. The Almighty does not change like shifting shadows. Our trust in the Lord is trust in a firm foundation. 
The things of this world come and go. Nations come and go. But the word of the Lord lasts forever. So when we trust in the Almighty, we are trusting in the one who does not change, who does not falter, who will not fall. And this is a firm foundation. And then another thing that's true is that you are safe in the arms of the Lord, just like Stephen in Acts chapter 7. You are safe in the arms of the Lord. That doesn't mean you won't go through hardships. In Acts chapter 7, if you go read that chapter, you'll see the story of a young man named Stephen. He was a deacon. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was serving the widows, and he was testifying to Jesus Christ in his culture. His culture didn't like that, and they ended up killing him. He was the first martyr, Stephen the martyr. And so when I say you are safe in the Lord's arms, just like Stephen, what I mean is there are things that this world cannot take away from you. That even if everything goes crazy and like Stephen, you face having to be a martyr or reject Jesus and you choose martyrdom, you are safe and secure in the arms of the Lord. Stephen was not shaken. Stephen was not unsettled and alarmed. He was seeing the glory of God and he was forgiving those who were harming him in the moment. You are safe in his arms. So three things that are true. There is a God in heaven that loves you and he's made a way for you to be free and forgiven and made new. The almighty doesn't change. Trusting in him is trusting in a firm foundation and you are safe in the arms of the Lord, just like Stephen was in Acts chapter seven. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's not look at interesting falsehoods, but let's look at what's true. We're going to close with John chapter six, the gospel of John chapter six, a few verses. Jesus says this in John six, 38 through 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Look at that verse 40. My father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. We can have security in our salvation because it says everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So let's look to the son. Let's trust in Jesus. We must look to the Lord and believe and embrace the security that comes from that. They cannot be shaken. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray now that you would spark in their hearts a desire to come to you, not tainted by the misinformation they've gotten or the goofiness of different religious things and all that. But Lord, just seeing straight into who you are and coming to you, unmitigated by people, but Lord, coming to you and knowing your truth and grabbing hold of the forgiveness that is there and pledging their lives to learn your ways and walk in your ways. So Father, bring those people in. And, and if that's you, just pray right now, a simple prayer, asking for forgiveness and pledging to, to follow Christ. It's all you got to do. And Lord, for those who have wandered off, bring them back. And Father, for all of us, let us not 
be deceived. Let us not be unsettled, but let us stand in the security and the strength of knowing that your will, almighty God, is that all who look to Jesus and believe will receive everlasting life. We don't have to worry about this wind of teaching or that or being blown here or there. We just need to fix our eyes on you, almighty God, so that we can be secure and strong in our faith and that you will save us from all the stuff that happens in this world. So Lord, encourage us with this and give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen.